0: Welcome to all the social ladies. With CEO of Likeable Media Carrie Kirpin. Carrie Kerpen. Hi, everyone. I'm Carrie Kerpen, CEO of Likeable Media, and ready to chat today with Crystal King, social media and marketing strategist at Keurig Green Mountain. Crystal has many years of experience building brands with both traditional and digital means, so we're really, really excited to talk to her today. She's received a bunch of awards. She's totally fabulous. And she also has worked as a communications professor at Boston University. She also, if that's not enough, writes and edits for a Grub Street blog, Writer Unboxed, and iMedia Connection. Crystal also has a love of ancient Rome and the Renaissance fine food and wine poetry and she also speaks Italian so this is one worldly guest we have today so I'm quite excited to introduce you all to Crystal. welcome Crystal Wow that was some introduction thank you, you. well, you're happy to be here. I have to say that you know I met Crystal uh, well I met you just about a year and a half ago at social media marketing world and I found it to be so interesting that you had such varied interests, like you were there with Keurig, we were talking all about social there, and then we started talking about your writing, and you just, you have such a wonderful, diverse history that I feel like the listeners can really benefit from. And so I, I would love to talk to you first about your career. Can you tell me, like, how you got your start? Because we have a lot of listeners who are pretty early in their careers, so I think it would be great to hear about your start.
1: Well, um, gosh, it's been a long time now. <laughs> um I um, began, actually, in, when I was in college, I really wanted to be a journalism major. Yep. Unfortunately, um, I picked a school where journalism really wasn't their forte, and I went for the, the place where they were, and my friends were there, and I just had all the wrong reasons. Um, but it turned out to be one of the best decisions I had made. But what I ended up in is a, a, um, with a major in um, English writing and literature, and I've always had a love of writing ever since a, I was a little kid, and so I knew that whatever I wanted to do in my career... Career I wanted to write in some fashion or another, or I had to be happy enough that um, I could still... Um have the writing be a component of it right? uh, because I knew that that's where my big love was is is in the writing. And so I um, ended up working actually in some startup companies in the world of marketing and marketing really appealed to me because I love talking to people. I love, um, it has certainly some writing components to it. It um, also is extremely creative. And that appealed to me a great deal. And so I ended up working in a, a variety of tech startups. I found my way from Seattle to um Boston and um and ended up in wearing all the hats actually in marketing. I've done events, I've done um I've done everything from writing bios to writing collateral to uh, putting together um, campaigns for advertising, as well as um, doing a lot in the world of PR. In fact, my last couple of jobs before I landed um, here at at Green Mountain was in PR more specifically, where mm-hmm. I wrote more press
0: releases than anyone should ever write in their <laughs> lifetime. Well, that gave, certainly got you your writing that you were interested in. Did you, When you worked with startups, did you enjoy that as like an early start to your career. I know that it's very different from working in a larger company.
1: Yeah, at the time, it was really uh, a fun idea. Um, I, it was during the dot-com era. Everybody had a startup. It, there was um, so much happening and going on. Um, also, too, I think when you're younger, um, the atmosphere that you're in and the friendships that you form are extremely important in a way that maybe they're not um, once you start to um, you know get married and you people have families, um, your relationships with people. Change so, in the startup world, it was really um, wonderful because most of the other people I worked with were young people and we had we were friends beyond sc- beyond the work environment and that Turned out to be wonderful. I've kept those friends throughout the years, but it's an extremely different environment. You're working very long hours. Um, you put a, a big deal of your heart and soul into it. Um, and then so there's a point where oh, and I've had more stock options than anyone <laughs> can imagine, and none of which actually ever panned out to be anything. Yeah. So, um, that's one of the trickier parts of startups is you're definitely taking a risk. And so if you're lucky and you get in on a risk like Google, then you're great. But um, you know the the truth is, is in a lot of cases that's not it and your company may be bought it may go under it you may realize this isn't what i need at this point in my life but um the lessons that i learned from that were fantastic how to be fle- how to be flexible how to um be creative um how to how to move with the flow Yeah. Um, Working in a startup is is something I definitely recommend at least everybody does at least one point in their life.
0: See, I love to recommend startups for early in your career because you get you do get to wear so many hats and you do get to experience like a really tight knit community. And like you said earlier in your career, when social is much more important to you, you know, being social with your friends, et cetera, it's such a great kind of place to an environment to foster that too i think i think that's awesome very early in the careers is, is a great way to do that and some people get the startup bug and that that's just it for them they just love it so then you went over to Kira green mountain so tell me about how you got into social media specifically obviously you've had this wealth of experience many years of experience and and you're now in social how did that come to be
1: so I've always been a super early adopter of technology, mm-hmm. and especially in the area of the internet. Um, I was one of the first people with, you know, a CompuServe address and AOL and Prodigy <laughs> way back in the day. Now I'm definitely dating myself
0: there. But, I love
1: it. I love it. Um, but. But along with that, I mean, I was blogging, um, you know, back in 99, um, and blogging really was where the first social began. Um, the whole idea of of um, interne- interconnected communities really took off about that time. And so for me, it was just a real natural adoption of um, social media in my own personal life. And what I found is, though, uh, that What it was doing was it was was changing how people um, connected with other people. And when I was at Sybase and at CA Technologies as a PR professional, I realized that you could no longer reach editors in the Mm -hmm. same way. They didn't Mm -hmm. respond to email. They didn't read press releases. But if you had a relationship with them on Twitter, you might be more likely to have um, someone respond to your phone calls um, if you've made that first connection, or they may be more likely to take an email on a story. So that's really where it started. Um, I started dabbling in it when I was at Sybase, getting the company more interested in things like YouTube. And then when I moved to CA Technologies, um, I really had my work cut out for me because they were on lockdown and they had no access to any internet anything <laughs> they didn't I don't even think you could check gmail at the time wow and so I had to really make a lot of, um, uh, I put a lot of policies in place, worked very closely with the legal team and said, look, this is the best way that your marketers are going to be able to do their job. The public relations team is going to be able to reach the right people. And most importantly, this is how your salespeople are going to start selling. Because in an enterprise environment, you have to have a long-term relationship before that million-dollar sale is made. And so- uh They really took to that um fortunately for me, they allowed me to you know make some small changes and now um by the time I left, they had um i think over thirteen different um Twitter handles in various countries uh, they 're probably way more than that now um we had um thirty blogs uh, uh, global blogs and uh um all of the the basic channels had been begun and uh were on well on their way. And so I was looking for something a little bit different, was actually going to go to IBM, and Keurig swooped up and wow. said, hey, we're just getting started with this. Can you come help? And I thought, IBM, seven thousand or 700 <laughs> people in my department, or Keurig, 700 people in the company. So at the time, Keurig was being run very separately than Green Mountain, even though yep. Green Mountain owned them. Yep. And so I thought... And coffee—who doesn't love coffee? <laughs> so it became an easy choice.
0: And who doesn't love Keurig, really? I mean, it is the most genius of all inventions. Uh, Our I just fans to... tell us this every day too. This, so this is it true. It makes it fun. As a fan myself, I can I can attest. So okay, so a couple questions about before before Keurig. Do you feel one of the things you mentioned is that you were an early adopter? Do you think that to succeed in social, you need to? Love social and be like because it seems like it's very natural for you. It's something you were doing on your own for pr- way prior to being having having it be a part of your career. Do you feel like that's something that's essential? can you can you work in social media and not really like social media? I think
1: you can actually yeah. um, and not not to call people out but um I actually have people on my my team that um they're very good at what they do in their day to day but they're they're not interested in it from a personal standpoint at all um and I think that, and I also, too, I, I do a lot of, um, I teach a lot of um, authors how to use social media as a medium for them to be able to basically build a platform for them to eventually sell their books. And a lot of writers really just want to write. They don't want to spend all their time on the internet. Exactly. As, um, you probably well know it. Yes. A bit of a time suck sometimes. Yes. And so uh, I think that um, when you learn how to use it efficiently, um, and know how powerful it can be, you can put bits of time into it and make it do what you need it to do um, on a personal level. Um, As for working in social, I definitely think it helps if you have a love and an affinity for it, Um, but it's not crucial as long as you understand that it's essentially, in a lot of ways, just a new channel for marketing. Um, It's a way that people get their information out in a way that we used to do with television and magazine advertisements. Now you do it through Twitter and you do it through Vine. Um, It's just a very, it's a switch in how that is. And I think that uh, what we're starting to see is there's a lot of marketers that are scrambling to get some of that social media knowledge because they're realizing that a lot of the types of traditional media that they used to um, use on a regular basis and that they they know and are familiar with are not as relevant in today's world.
0: Exactly. It sounds like you're saying that the tools themselves have evolved and the medium with which we communicate has evolved, but it's, it's really, it, you don't have to be a total social media nerd to, uh, to succeed in the, in the field, it sounds like.
1: No, I don't think so. It's just learning a new way to um, understand how to market yourself and market your products.
0: So if you were looking at what skills you would need to succeed in a career in social, what would you say? What would you look for? You're looking to hire somebody in social media. What, what are you looking for?
1: I think you need somebody who, um, first of all, has the ability to write um, to some reasonable capacity, Um, especially if you're publishing anything and you're creating content that needs to be published. Um, That's something, actually, that I look very closely for when um, looking for customer service people to help in social. Uh, It's not something that you really want to be using text speak for you actually need to be able to speak in complete sentences and get your ideas across in a very succinct manner i actually tell people that are i actually tell a lot of writers that i'm working with that twitter is their best friend because it's a lesson in how to edit and how to be concise and so having somebody with the skills to be able to um express themselves very quickly and very clearly i think is important you also need to be able to multitask because there's a lot happening in the world of social and um, it happens so quickly that flexibility is another big key thing. Um, and you have to have a little bit of a hard skin in the sense that if something bad happens, you have to know how to immediately turn on a dime and figure out how to creatively problem solve, which is another thing I would suggest be yes. a great skill to have. Yes. And how do you fix those types of scenarios? So, um, I mean, there of course, you can probably apply all of those things to other jobs in different kinds of ways. Um, but I think that those particular skills are really at the core of, of what you need in social. And if you read fast, that's a big bonus.
0: Ooh, that I haven't. That's a good nugget. Read quickly. I yeah. love it. I love that. Yeah, I think for me, something that I look for all the time is just a really good understanding of tone. You know, the ability to communicate via via the written word, like with with proper tone is so key, both in in outgoing messages and then in customer service as well, I just think is is really, really key. And I I agreed with a lot of what you were saying there. So, okay, so you're at Carrig Green Mountain. Tell me about the approach to social there. So
1: for us, the customers really come first. Um, You know, I think for one of the reasons actually that I came to Keurig in the first place was simply because um, that that was their original approach to it is the idea that their customers were talking and they wanted to know what they were saying and they wanted to be able to help them and respond to all of the things that they were asking, and so to me that was really key. It was a company that didn't care so much about the selling, they, mm-hmm. they really cared about making sure that the customers were heard and that they were being responded to. And to me, I just that that to me is the essence of the power of social media because if you are taking care of your clients, and you're listening to them and you're responding, their loyalty grows and they're gonna talk more about you. And we've seen that firsthand. Um, If somebody comes to us and says, hey, my brewer broke this morning, I couldn't have my morning coffee, I'm really upset. And then we're able to say, you know what? We totally understand how that is. And we know what it's like when we can't get our morning coffee. And we've got some people that are gonna take take care of you and turn this around for you. And then within an hour, we see them coming back posting saying you guys have the best customer service ever thank you so much Um, and so we see that every day over and over and over and what we have also seen along with that is that our our followers grow um, the people that they talk to um, become fans of ours and uh, we have just in general, greater success. We have um, stronger brand reputation. We have uh, very high sentiment, um, customer sentiment. Some of the highest, I think, of any company I've ever even imagined working for. It's amazing. Um, people really love to talk about Keurig and the coffee experience that they have. And not just coffee, well, all sorts of different beverages nowadays. Um, and to me, that's really exciting. That's, that's really the, the core of, of what we're trying to accomplish here.
0: So it sounds like you're using primarily, especially when you joined, you were looking at using social for both insights, so understanding what the customer's saying and then obviously customer service and being able to uh, both troubleshoot and, and help answer fans when they have a question. How about a proactive approach? Are there what do you do when you're looking to launch something new or do a campaign? What what is your general philosophy around that?
1: So uh, one of my colleagues, actually, she, uh, whenever she, she's um, talking about what I do with, with, um, with our customers is that um, one of the things we do in social is that we help our customers tell their stories. And that's exactly the way she put it. And or we, tell, we help them tell their love stories. And I love that whole idea it, because it really succinctly captures what we're trying to do from a proactive standpoint, uh, our customers have love stories, and they tell everybody all day long. If you go to Pinterest, you type in Keurig, you'll see thousands of pictures of just the brewer. Instagram and and Vine and all of the channels are are similar. Um, and so, what we're looking to do is finding ways to tell, to have people tell more of those stories. Um, we get them all the time coming into customer service, and they post on our wall um, things like, you know, I. The only thing I saved from the tornado, besides my family, was my Keurig brewer. Or my, hus- my husband's off in Afghanistan, and I named my brewer after him. Or you know, we hear these stories all the time. And uh, we love um, hearing them from our fans. And and our fans love to um, connect with other people that are having those same experiences. So our proactive campaigns are designed around um, helping other people to tell their stories and to hear more of those stories.
0: Help your customers tell their love stories. I absolutely love it. Do you have a really good example of one of the campaigns that you've done that you'd love to share with us?
1: Yeah. So right now we're actually just wrapping up um, what we call the Battle of the Brews, and it is a take on the the traditional basketball brackets that happen in the springtime. And we started out with thirty-two K Cup packs. Um, Most, a lot of um, ones that people know and love, and a few others that um, are a little bit sleepers. In People may not be as aware of them. And so we started that, that battle, essentially. We had a series of Vine videos that went with it to introduce it that we shared on Twitter and Instagram and on Vine. Uh, we, the campaign is playing out on Facebook. We have this really killer prize that is is a lot of fun where we're creating the ultimate game day pack where you get this huge big screen TV, um, a slow cooker for your meatballs, a cured brewer for your beverages, you get tickets for um, sports sporting event in your local community, all that sort of stuff. But then you're, we're whittling it down. We've seen the fans really rally behind their packs as the, the the battles have been continuing over the last couple of weeks. So now we're down to the final two, which um, was Donut Shop, which we knew would be in the winning. Of course. Because that's one of our favorites. Of course. And the other one we were really surprised about, it's um, Cafe um, Caramel um, from our Ooh. Cafe Escape line. And um, we were really surprised. Um, But people love that pack. And the best part about that whole campaign is watching people saying, yay, go go this flavor, go that flavor. And people get so excited about it. And seeing that excitement is very fun. It makes what we do um, really, really exciting.
0: What I love about that is the clear example of how that actually ties back to the strategy of having customers telling their love stories because they're sharing the flavors that they love and they're really rallying behind them quite literally in this battle of the brews. I love that.
1: They um have uh, every every round they're they're back there cheering on their favorite flavor. It's it's totally fun. It's it's absolutely
0: been one of the most fun campaigns we've done. Ooh, I love it. That's awesome. Um, So you mentioned a few of the networks you're on. So I heard Vine, I heard Twitter, I heard Instagram, I heard Facebook. Um, How do you determine what networks are appropriate for Kira Green Mountain to be on?
1: So we started out actually with Facebook and, and Twitter primarily, and that was only a couple of years ago. I think a lot of people may not realize that we're really fairly young in our social media strategy compared to a lot of other companies our size. Um, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters actually had um, a, uh, a lot more going for it um, when I came on board um, than Keurig did, and so we're now actually um, much more completely one company. And so, and both both Green Mountain and Keurig rest in my camp now, which has been exciting to see. Um, and so for us, when we were looking at it, we, we looked at the channels that are the strongest and where do we need to be definitely started there. And, um, and, I, and I tell this too also with um, authors that I'm working with or other people that I'm giving social media advice to, start where you know that you're going to have the best impact okay. and then gradually expand based upon where you think you can best handle um, the ability to generate the content and respond. Um, because if you can't generate content it and be consistent and you're not able to respond, there's not a lot of reason to have those channels. So I would always say start small and then gradually grow into it. So, for example, we don't have a Tumblr yet because we weren't entirely sure that we had enough content for it. We had been looking at the audience; at skews a bit younger than where we started, and we weren't sure that that was really the right place for us at the time. But now we're actually very excited about what we're planning on doing in Tumblr in the next year. Uh, so it, it, the timing is right for us now. It hasn't been up before now.
0: So it sounds like you don't really apply the jump in quickly, get out quickly philosophy, right? If you're trying a new network or anything like that, it sounds like you're really focused much more on do you have a strategy against it? Do you have enough content? Can you execute against it before you actually do it?
1: Uh, Yes, Yes. but I do think that you should reserve those names as soon as that new channel (laughs) Ah, pops up. Ah,
0: reserve the Uh, name. I, I love it. Yeah. You've had the
1: Tumblr account for quite some time actually, but we haven't put content we don't have the content at this time, but we have really exciting plans. And so um and I and I recommend this anytime that there's a new channel that comes out, um, immediately go and reserve your name, whether it's for personal use or if it's the company that you're working for. Make sure that you save that because um you don't want somebody squatting on it. Later on, and then you either lost the chance on a personal level, or you have to um, deal with copyright
0: issues on the company level. Smart, because um, that's no, neither of that, those things are fun. It's a great tip. It's a great tip. So, you know, recently, obviously, Facebook has changed its algorithm. There's been a lot of changes that Facebook, and a lot of press out there that Facebook is pay to play entirely. How are you guys approaching that in terms of of Facebook and and handling those changes?
1: So that is something that I think. A lot of my colleagues at all sorts of brands are grappling with, um, and it's it's really unfortunate because it's also made um, Facebook virtually unviab- um, un- not viable anymore for small businesses and for artists and musicians and, yes. and authors. Yes. Um, it makes it small businesses, Facebook's barely even worth um, using at this point because um, they've created a scenario where the only way that you can get ahead is if you pay. Right. I think Keurig is fortunate. Keurig and Green Mountain are fortunate um, as the respective Facebook properties, um, in that we already have a pretty strong fan base. But we've seen that drop to maybe we're only when we organically post. We're lucky. We're lucky if ten to twenty percent of our fans have an opportunity to even see that. Um, and so, um, basically, Keurig, um, Facebook has forced the hands of brands in order to uh to pay and advertise their posts in order for them to be seen and it it's it's something that um I think that we I've had many conversations with my brand colleagues uh, across um, various um, different companies and we're all faced with it yeah we currently promote a lot of our posts because we especially for something like the battle of the Bruce, because we really want our fans to see it and to be able to participate of course um and we're in a position where we're able to do that but it's it's something I think that's going to greatly hurt Facebook because more and more people are becoming dissatisfied with the fact that even on a personal level, if I follow a company, I want to be able to see things from them. I, and now I, I, still, I don't really get to do that unless they pay for it. Yeah, um, And that's frustrating. It's and I, big I think challenge. Facebook's really hurting themselves.
0: Yeah. It's so unfortunate. It is. It's a really, really big challenge for a lot of marketers, and I think for now you see that they are participating and they're there and they're promoting the posts. But it's just a question of how long, especially with the under twenty-five segment not really being as as into Facebook, how long that can sustain and yep. what they do. So it should be interesting. We're to starting make... to see. Go ahead.
1: We're starting to see companies actually that are saying we're not going to use Facebook any longer,
0: and uh-huh. that I think
1: is a huge, big deal. Um, you don't really want people. Facebook really shouldn't be excited about that aspect of it, and I hope they're rethinking their policies as a result.
0: I hope so too. Uh, you know, it makes me wonder a lot of times about what what's next for Instagram, right? so as you as you start looking at mm-hmm. at the company as a whole, it's like, okay, so we're going to shift resources and do a little bit more organic content on some of these other networks. but if you think about it, it's Instagram is Facebook, so it's where does that end up in the long run? It's very interesting, I think, to to think about. Exactly yeah so tell me tell me about how you guys structure uh, your staff for success in social so how are you how are you built and how does it work?
1: so right now, we um currently do our moderation in house, and we've got um, both customer service and um, social media um people that moderate and so uh, we really believe that uh, the voice of the customer is key, so we spend. We answer the majority of the messages in which we're tagged, and we're working really hard to get to those that we're not currently tagged in and um, growing the team to be able to do that. And so for us, um, if you are on our Facebook wall or you're on our Twitter we were, or you're in our other channels, we work really hard to be able to respond to all of those people. And so um, having a mix of both um, people that sit in the social media team and people that sit in our customer service team has worked really well for us because we're able to escalate the really tough things to our customer service team very quickly, um, or we're able to to answer those questions with our own team. And so for that, it's been a really great mix
0: for us. That's great. And so how many people total do you have working on um, internally? How many people total do you have working on social media?
1: Uh, It fluctuates depending on um, what is happening, actually, because I can add a few additional people um, from our customer service team. But on any given day, I believe we have anywhere from four to six people.
0: Four to six people. Wow. That's great. Yep. And so when you're working on social and you have these people that are dedicated to social, from your organization, I know you said that from the beginning, even when you joined, they were focused on insights and customer service as the key, really the key metrics in terms of being on social. Do you ever get really strong ROI pressure? What? How do you answer the question of, is this all worth it?
1: So we are really fortunate in that I can prove ROI. We actually have had several apps that directly... Um, sales into our our dot-com, and so that's exciting, but I'm really, really fortunate to work with a team of people where, while that's a great thing for us to have, um, it's not the primary goal for us. Again, it goes back to making sure that we're helping our customer, we're listening to what is being said, and we're finding ways to tell those stories. Um, We know that the having the brand reputation and loyalty is going to result in more sales in the long run. So we work very hard to make sure that that's our primary focus. Where um, And so to do that, we're looking at things like sentiment. Mm-hmm. We're looking at, um, you know, follower count is important because we know for every follower we have, we've got a loyal person who has opted into our messaging um we also know that um they're more likely to to tell their friends and share our stories so follower accounts are important um, not in the same way that i think that they they used to be important yes. in the social media world but we can actually we can actually put dollar amounts behind those um the 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 value of having those customers is similar to having an email customer for us so um being able to market to them is really extremely important um we can also look at um uh, a wide variety of things. If they, if they've, how they're connecting to things like email, how they're, um, how many reshares that we have.
0: Uh, there's, there's, we have so many metrics. It's not even funny to be honest. I love that, and I love that even though you've been able to prove direct ROI through an e-commerce campaign you're still looking at the numbers that matter for social more broadly which is about really what you can do for your customers loyalty and sentiment i think is is key there it's so great to hear how forward thinking you guys are and it's just it's really really impressive so kudos on that thank you oh it's awesome okay so You also, in addition, you know, I rattled off your your bio earlier, and you you are somebody who has many interests and and a lot of different things, and and one of them in in particular is writing outside of Curie Green Mountain, but your writing and your your coaching of authors. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: As I mentioned earlier, like, the love of writing is something that um, really is kind of the thread that weaves throughout my life, and um, to that end, I do a lot of work with a a really – um, fantastic independent writing center in Boston called Grub Street, and I've had the great fortune of being able to um, do some. Uh, I actually instruct classes for authors there, which is exciting. Um, but I do, uh, but a lot of what got me there was the fact that I, I do a lot of my own um, writing on the side, and I've done everything from writing. Um, you mentioned some of the columns that I've written in the past yes. um, at the beginning of the podcast, and and I I still do that from time to time. But I've been working really hard on. Um, I have a novel that I've just finished in this in the editing stage, and I'm starting the process of writing my second novel. And so, those are things that are actually really near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm so happy for, about, for you,
0: Crystal, because when we first met, you were you were in the throes of writing it. So I'm I'm so happy to hear that it's in the editing stages. That's amazing.
1: Writing the last word on that first draft <sighs> is like a moment where you just you know you shed a few tears. I can't imagine. You know, it, it is an accomplishment to be able to write a book, as, as you know. Yes, um, yes. Knowing knowing people in your life who yes, have written books, yes. And, And um, I think you've got a, probably some under your own belt um, yes. that you're working on. Yes. So I think you know. So that's exciting to be able to do that. And for me, also too, I, they're they're both set in Italy. One's in ancient Rome, and one's in Renaissance Italy, and they're both about cooks. Um, and so there's a couple of my other loves that are kind of woven in. And I the way I look at it is that you always need to be doing something in your life that makes you excited. And if you can weave it all together, all the better. So, um, And I think I've, I've been really fortunate in that I figured that out early on. And so the marketing serves the creative and writing aspect. And I can still do a lot of the writing on the side uh, in these other areas that I love.
0: How do you how do you find the time to do it? And how do you stay inspired? Like that's for me is so hard. Sometimes I get home at the end of the day and like I just from from work, my kids, my life, everything, like I find it very hard to make time for those passions that are for me. And I, I just I'm so impressed by you and the ability to do that. How how do you do it?
1: Well, not having kids helps yes. a little in that regard. Yes, so, of course. Um, you know, I I, I um but Um, I actually am part of a really great uh, group of um, writers there's um, three other women that I meet with every two weeks and that is incredibly inspirational and um, two of them have kids and and they kind of make it work, and I'm I'm in constant amazement um, at, at at that actually because I know how tough that is, and um, so that is actually very inspiring to be able to meet and hack apart each other's work and and really um, inspire each other with every step that we take, and so that's exciting. Um and part of it's I just have this really great love of people, and um, I have a really incredible network of people that I stay connected to and for me that's um, I mean that's really a lot of why I love social media too is I get to be social in my work life, which is really an extension of what I like to be in my personal life too so um, I think that when you love something, you make time for it, and if you you keep thinking and working towards that thing that you love you'll you'll find the time for it and you'll be able to achieve it. I, I that's really kind of my underlying philosophy.
0: What awesome pearls of wisdom today. I love that. When you love something you make time for it. It's so true. Yeah, because I think whether or not you have kids, you don't have kids, you're it, it, all of it it's so we're we're all so busy every day. I mean, and you think about how much how much it goes on and how much time you devote to work and I just think the ability to make time for your passion like that is just—it's so admirable, Crystal. And I feel really blessed to be able to have this interview with you and hear all about it. It's—it's it's been pretty awesome.
1: Oh well, thank you. This is fun. Yeah, good. <laughs> like I good. Said,
0: it's more that that whole
1: social thing. It—it it just plays right into everything I love.
0: Yeah, you hear it. You hear it right through right through our interview today. It's pretty pretty amazing to Re- hear how social you are, and and uh, I love I love that you're a social lady who joined us. So thank you so much for coming today, and I'm thrilled to have you on. Great. Thank you so much, Carrie. Oh, thanks, Crystal. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kirpin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com.